Well, it's rare that we get to read a whole chapter of Scripture. This is the end of the Apostle Paul's first letter to young minister Timothy, chapter 6 and verses 1 to 21. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of, of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the doctrine, with these words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless or foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Not money, but the love of money is not the root, but a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Or pangs. The word literally means impaled themselves, or if you will, crucified themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may lay hold or take hold of that which is, note the phrase, truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. How'd you like to be a minister who gets that letter? It's a message for a seminary student and young minister. Our Lord, we come to you as the one who, though you were rich, became poor, that we, through your poverty, might become rich beyond anything we could ever imagine. And now, our Lord, we know that while Paul doesn't specifically refer to that in this text, surely he who wrote those words also has them in mind, and may we have them in mind as we ask the question, am I investing wisely? And so, our Lord, if ever you have formed the mind and the heart and the will of Christ in us, do it now for his sake and for our eternal good. Amen. 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 Please be seated. And I think you'll want to turn to page 5, for the, uh, at least for the first part of the message.
was, I think, about three decades ago that John Piper wrote a book that, that really rocked the evangelical world. It was entitled Desiring God, and this is the title that rocked people, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. A hedonist is someone who loves pleasure, and you don't usually associate hedonism of that variety with what John Piper's speaking about, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. But it was a very important book that drew out aspects of piety that I think really had not been emphasized as they should have been. And of all the chapters that captivated me, I think the one that captivated me the most was the one, The Currency of Christian Hedonism, It gripped me right from the very first sentence, as John Piper wrote, Money is the currency of Christian hedonism. What you do with it, or desire to do with it, can make or break your happiness forever. Let me read that one more time. Money is the currency of Christian hedonism. What you do with it, or desire to do with it, can make or break your happiness forever. This is a a charge to me uh, as an elder who's also called a minister. I'm called to not be a lover of money and not to be greedy for money. And so this chapter was quite a charge to me in that official capacity. And also I was struck with the fact that it's just my favorite summary text of Jesus. It's when the Apostle Peter is ministering to Cornelius ministering to Gentiles. How do you sum up the, the ministry of the God-man quickly? And Peter said more than this, but among other things, he said to Cornelius, Jesus went about doing good. And, and what is it to do good? So, so this chapter really charged me in that regard. As far as you, I am not speaking on this for these reasons. I'm not speaking because the giving is down in the last few months at the church. I'm not speaking this title because it's a veiled way to talk with you about the tithe. I'm not preaching on this because it's the time of the year in which we give in a special way, whether it's the Christmas uh, the Christmas uh, child or whether it's giving to a food pantry or giving to worldwide outreach or end of the year giving or Christmas giving. That's not the reason why I'm doing all of those things, but rather It's because I want to know if you, as I want to ask myself, are you investing wisely? It reminds me of the old Indiana Jones, you've chosen wisely. (laughs) And this this is, are you investing wisely for true joy? True joy, and there's even more for true joy forever, okay? Uh, There is joy in this kind of giving in this life, but especially forever. It's really, in my opinion, one of the most remarkable themes about redemption, okay? Jesus, or the scriptures speak, uh, some people have counted over 2,300 times about money and wealth and property and so on. And, and this kind of distills these things from our Lord's words and from the Apostle Paul. So our text, the first is, is warnings, and that's from 1 Timothy 1 on page 5, 1 Timothy 6, rather, verses 6 through 10. Now, there's some very clear warnings embedded in here. And then in 1 Timothy 6, and you drop to the bottom of your page, verses 17 to 19, duties. And whenever we speak of duties, our duties as Christians ought to also be our delights. When God changes our hearts, if God's changed your heart, and you're always asking, what's my duty? What's my duty? What's my duty? That's not a bad thing, but it's not as good as, what's my delight? What's my delight? What's my delight? Okay, so we're dealing with duties and also delights. And number three, a way of thinking, a way of thinking about these things here. So let's look, number one, warnings in verses 6 through 10. And you can summarize it this way. Your desire, and for that matter, my desire, your desire for money, your desire for money has the power to destroy you. Listen to the text. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and to a snare with many senseless or foolish and harmful desires that plunge people to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and impaled themselves 
with many pangs. Your desire for money has the power to destroy you. Now, I've got to make this point right at the beginning. It doesn't speak about money. It talks about the desire. From, we're talking about desire. We're talking about hopes. We're talking about your passions. Money, folks, is not wrong. You need money to pay bills. You need money to provide for your family. You need, you need money if you're a, a businessman. You've got to have capital to invest in your business. You have to pay your employers and pay them well. We have to pay the government. The government does have the right to tax, okay? So this is not against money. Please don't misunderstand that, okay? It's talking very specifically in here, if you will, about your heart, okay? Riches aren't wrong, but they have these concerns. Notice, godliness with contentment is great gain. And just a little aside here. And I actually wonder what Paul, I wish I could get into the market marketing world of Paul's day when he says uh, that, that godliness is a means of gain to those depraved in mind and deprived in truth. For them, godliness is a means of gain. And I'm not saying all that do this are depraved or deprived. But folks, godliness is still a big way to make money today. Jesus junk, of which there's so much that you don't need, but people make money out of it. Much of Christian music, and Christian music isn't wrong. A lot of it's not particularly good, but, but again, there's big bucks, even in our secular age, huge bucks in godliness, and Paul is distancing himself from that. In the same way, we distance ourselves from the quote-unquote prosperity preachers who say, God really wants you wealthy. God really wants you to have a Cadillac. God really wants you always to be healthy and never feeling sick. And all that baloney. Come on. That's not what we're talking about here. And incidentally, those kinds of preachers make a lot of money in what they do. All right, so that's not what we're talking about. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He doesn't say, don't live for gain. Right? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he says something similar earlier in the chapter. He's building on what he says in chapter 4 and verse 8. While bodily training, planet fitness, right? <laughs> While bodily training is of some value, and it is, godliness is of value in every way. Now listen carefully, gain, as it holds promise for the life to come. And it does. But he says it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So he is not saying here, don't live for gain. Just make sure it's the right kind of gain, and that gain comes with godliness and godliness with contentment. And uh, contentment, folks, is, is the exact opposite of covetousness, which is our commandment for confession of sin next week. In, in covetousness, you're always saying, I need more. I need more, or I want more. I want more. I need more. I, need, I must have more. Unless I get more, it will, I won't be happy. And that's a formula for real anxiety. Okay? That's why Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life and what you do. So this is over against covetousness. But he speaks of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And contentment here is, is I'm, I'm really I'm satisfied with what I have. There's other things I will need, to be sure. God provides our needs. But I'm really satisfied with what I have, and I will, I will, make, I will make good use of that. Now, what's the point here? Well, folks, think of, think of, of material gain and godliness as, as, two, as two planets, okay, or with, with a gravitational pull. Um, or if you will, one is the earth, okay, material things, the other is the sun. Well, the earth has a certain gravitational pull to it, and, and, and material things will pull you to themselves, okay? There's that, there's that law of gravity with material gain. Well, you want godliness, which is like the gravitational pull of the sun, to be a stronger gravitational pull. And when, when godliness puts you in its gravitational pull, that's what will break the power 
of the gravitational pull of material things. That's what he's getting at. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, why not live here? Why, Why not live for material gain? And Paul gives three very blunt reasons. Number one, in verse seven, he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. As so many people have commented, You'll never find a U-Haul in back of a hearse. That's bluntly what he's saying. And I was working on this and putting together this final form, of which there's a lot here. I uh, heard that day. It was 20 years ago yesterday, November 12, 2001, that American Airlines Flight 587, I remember this vividly because I was at LaGuardia Airport that morning, when we heard the word that Flight 587 from JFK to Santo Domingo had crashed in the Bell Harbor area of Queens, no less. And five people were killed on the ground. 260 people killed immediately in that plane crash. You brought nothing into the world. You can take nothing out of it. Some of those people, I'm sure, were going to very, very fancy resorts in the Santo Domingo area. They would have had their credit cards, some of them may have had mistresses, they would have had all these doodads. They couldn't bring any of that out of this world. Other people were going to hovels or poor homes in that area. When they were killed, they were all exactly the same. Bank accounts made no difference. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. I don't know why this thing, again, we had a, for a few years, Margaret and I had responsibility for uh, taking care of a, an elderly gentleman who was relatively wealthy, uh, mainly because he didn't spend much in, on anything. And uh, we had the, after he died, um, we had to get rid of all of his possessions. There were no family members who wanted any of it and huge dumpsters of stuff. That was it. He could take none of it with him. And this statement came to mind, actually came later, and I put this together with it. It is so vivid. The pieces go back into the box when the game is over. Whoa. Okay, so that's number one. That's why it's a warning, okay? No U-Hauls behind hearses. And then in verse 8, it really isn't so much a warning, but it's a challenge, is to learn contentment. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So he says godliness with contentment is great gain. Now what, what are you to be content in? Okay, well, number one, one is given in the text here, but, but the writer of Hebrews, now remember the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians in Rome who are going to face persecution. And things are going against them in that city that, that is the beast, as it's called in the book of Revelation. And so the writer of Hebrews says to them, keep your life, see if this doesn't sound like Paul and Jesus, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See why in worship the Lord be with you is so important each week. So we can confidently say, not just say it, we can boldly with confidence say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Very bluntly, folks, God is better than gold. And that's how you stay content. I have God. I have my Lord. Even if I lose my life today, I've gained every single thing, okay? And it's easier said than done, but that's true. Having God, you have all things. So that's one reason. The other is actually given in the text a little bit later. If you drop down to verse uh, verse 17, uh, here's the second reason why you need to be content. And this is really cool to think about. The best things in life are gifts of God. They're, they're actually in, in really free gifts of God. We don't, we don't earn them. And he says, because God richly provides us 
with everything to enjoy. Oh, the old Beatles song, I don't care too much for money, although they did, but money can't buy me love. That's exactly right. You can't buy the genuine love of a child, of your spouse, of a brother and sister in Christ. You can't buy it. You know as well as I do, you try to buy that and it ain't love, right? So, so the love of others. But there's something even more basic. And one of the things that, that uh, Margaret and I do think a little bit about, I don't know what retirement's going like, to look like for me, if it ever does, but uh, we thought, yeah, it'd be kind of cool, actually. To, you mentioned, tell us all about Cyprus, and, and, or, or Crete, which is where my grandparents are from. And having been to the Mediterranean, I know it's, it's a beautiful place, and it would be fun if we could go there. The last Sunday night, we were sitting up by the fire pit, it was beautiful. I mean, the clouds were beautiful. The moon was beautiful. And I thought to myself, does it make any difference if I'm over in the Mediterranean or in Long Island? The same moon. <laughs> and God, God gives you that to enjoy. That's why he says godliness with contentment is great joy. And brothers and sisters, this is part of your faith. You don't look up in the moon and say, how did that come by a big bang? You look at the moon and say, God put that there for his glory and for my good. And, and that, that gives you a certain sense of contentment because that's my God, right? So, so that's why Paul says in the second case, when, when, in the, the second reason, it's, it's a warning, learn contentment. The best things in life God gives you and you have God himself. He's better than gold. And then in verses 9 and 10, here's where the warning really, really digs in. The warning here is if you set your heart's desire and your hopes on money, that has the power to destroy you. And if you don't believe me, listen to the... And the words in the original are very, very powerful. Not those who are rich. He's going to speak to those who are rich a little bit later, but he says those who desire to be rich. That's, that's their heart's religion, is the idol of money fall into temptation, into a snare, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires. One desire leads to others that are worse and worse and worse. That here the words get strong, plunge people. It's the language of pushing someone in the sea so that they drown, plunging people into ruin and destruction. Let me just stop here for a moment. Aren't you struck with how celebrities very often die? I, I, for, for some reason, I'm dating myself here. I think of Judy Garland, who, when she did *The Wizard of Oz*, was this kind of a uh, kind of a Pollyanna type of beautiful, innocent girl, and she was gifted, Judy Garland. And she attained a lot of fame and a lot of money and ruined her life. And thousands of celebrities have fallen in that path. People who win Powerball, even after the government takes away its share, which is a lot, they've got a lot. Read what happens when people get an inheritance quickly. Very rarely, very, very rarely, does it not bring something pretty close to misery to people? Okay, so that, that's what he's getting at. You can fill in the blanks as you want to. It is it, for the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. If you have dollars, why do you need deity? Right? If you have gold, why do you need God? And the word is impaled themselves with many pangs. Bluntly, this means this. I follow Christ, and in following Christ, each Christian has a certain, if I could put it this way, package in the cross, and that's spelled self-denial. But it leads to everlasting life. If you won't have that cross, you can have the cross of wealth. And unless you substitute the cross of Christ for that, that cross will, it will impale you. 
So Paul, he has Christ in this whole thing, even if in the backdrop, all right? So those are, those are the three reasons why you, you, don't, you don't want to pursue money. But let me turn it around. We're told over and over and over and over and over and over again in our culture, ad nauseum, care for yourself, love for yourself, make sure you do good to yourself, make sure you provide for yourself, make sure you look out for yourself. Okay, are you really? Do you really love yourself? If you do, and you're loving money and the things this world can give, quite frankly, dear friend, you hate yourself. Because you can only hate yourself if you read something that tells you to live like this is to be destroyed. All right? So, I mean, these are blunt words. All right. Now, that's, those are the warnings. Drop down to verse 17, and let's look at the duties or the delights. Now, the wise use of our money is, is an... Listen carefully. The wise use of your money and your wealth is an investment in true and eternal life. I love that reference, to take hold of that which is truly life. And we throw the term eternal life around like, like, it's, a, like it's a soccer ball. Truly life is life with God forever. It's life with his people forever. It's life with joy forever. It's life without sin forever. It's life without grief and misery forever, forever. That's truly life. The only replacement for it is mere existence, which is the situation if you're outside of Christ. And now, how do you invest in, in what is truly life? And here you see that God is not against investments. He's against bad investments. As for the rich in this present age, charge them, we'll come to this in a minute, not to be haughty, and set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are, here's the investments, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves. Whoa! treasure for themselves. You want the best IRA? Here it is. That's what it's talking about. Thus, thus laying up for themselves, treasuring, and that's the word, to make a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, folks, this is not earning your salvation. That's not it at all, because our salvation is a free grace. But it's showing that our heart really is with that salvation by the way we invest. Now, before we actually get into the text, let's listen to some of the... I'm so thankful for little sticky notes because they help me find these places in the Bible. For all. But it's interesting to think of how Jesus speaks about wealth in the Gospels. It just... It kind of let these wash over you, okay? Matthew 6 and verses 19 to 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It doesn't say you shouldn't have some wealth. We all need some to pay bills and so on. But that's not where your main investments are is the idea. But lay up for yourselves. Here's the same language Paul uses, treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. You don't need ADT in up in heaven. Okay, that, that's it. You don't, you don't need a security system up in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Folks, how are your treasures forming your heart? It's interesting that if I put my treasures in my books, and you know I'm a great enjoyer of books, after a while, if that's your great love, you become very bookish, right? Now, how are your treasures forming your heart? Well, if you're thinking more about the Wall Street Journal Monday through Friday than you are about the kingdom of God, you've got your answer, all right? 
So, so, so that's the first thing, where you, and that's why that's, that is one of the reasons why we say give, whether it's to the Haven or to Soundview Pregnancy Services or whatever you give to, that's where your heart's going to be, folks. You know it yourself. All right, so that, that's number one. Now then, and then if you look in Luke chapter, chapter 12 and verses 32 to 34, oh, and God willing, next week we'll have the Bibles. A very generous donor gave not only enough money that we could buy Bibles for the pews, we'll need some rugged men to carry them in for Margaret's, uh, Margaret's car today, um, but also said, I will give you some extra, and we have enough money to buy more Trinity hymnals now, whenever they get back in print. But anyway, that's, that, thus I digress. See, at my age, folks, that's the problem. You can digress with all, all kinds of things here. But look, look at Luke chapter 12 and verses 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, I'm not saying sell all of it, but there's needy people. You may want to do that. Okay, If you don't need it, sell it. 1-800-GOT-JUNK, right? Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with, here's the language, here's your IRA, a treasure in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now notice that the kingdom is the investment here. The Father's pleasure is to give you the kingdom. That's what you're investing in. And you say, well, what is this thing called the kingdom? Luke 14, beginning at verse 31. Luke 14, rather in verse 13. When you give a feast, now listen carefully, you've got to get a picture on what the kingdom is. When you give a feast, oh, we, we were chatting once at one of our officers' meeting. what's our strength as a church? I, mean, I wasn't preaching, number one. <laughs> number one is food, although preaching is that. We, we love to cook, okay? So, that's, so we give a feast, and we invite EMS workers or whatever, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now listen carefully. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What does that mean? You throw a feast in which, among other things, and above all, you present the gospel, and some of these people are going to be converted among the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you gave a feast. You may have even forgotten you gave the feast. At the resurrection of the just... When these that you gave the feast for who were converted through that as at least an instrumentality, you say, wow, I got my return. That's the point. The return on my investment is what? Well, let's continue. And you'll see again how Jesus develops this in chapter 16 and verses 9 and 10. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, wealth is not inherently unrighteous, but it can be used for unrighteous purposes. So that when it fails, when you have to go on Medicaid because your investments ran out, they, who's they? They may receive you into eternal dwellings. They're the ones that you made friends for yourself and for Christ when you, to some extent, made yourself poor. And when you get to glory, they greet you and say, thank you that you were an instrument of God for my being in glory. What's your greatest investment, folks? Well, it's in God and His glory, yes. I don't take that away. But it's also in people. You're investing in people and their everlasting lives. All right. So, so anyway, so that, that's, the, that, that's kind of the background to the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, speaking uh, about investing, treasuring for yourselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And the, the they in there is interesting. It's not just you taking hold of eternal life, but treasure it up, give, so that others might lay hold of eternal life. Now, fascinating, each word is inspired in the scriptures. Okay, now let's, let's, okay, so that's the duties and the delight, or that's the duty. Let's still look at the specifics he gave very quickly. 
As for the rich in this present age, verse 17, so he's speaking now to those, not about those desiring riches, they got riches, and they're sitting in the pew. Charge them not to be haughty. Number one, don't be proud, don't be puffed up. Why? Because it's God who gives you to make wealth. That's one of the first things the Israelites learned in Deuteronomy 8. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. That, incidentally, is a profound theme in scriptures. And without going too far afield, your children that you raised in the Lord may at least at this point still be unregenerate and God will still confirm his covenant with you and what you've done. Because one of the things God does, and I put it this way, irrespective of the salvation of a person, he's going to bring good things to this world. And he does it in huge measure through the investment you've made in your children. And that's just kind of scratching the surface of this rich text. Big thing is, remember, it is God who gives you power to get wealth. Well, my parents taught me, and I listened. Yeah? Who gave you your parents? Who gave you the ears to hear? I had teachers that taught me how to be industrious. Who gave you your teachers? And for that matter, who gave you your mind so that you could process this? But I got a job and I worked hard. Really, who gave you the strength to do that? See the point? Don't get puffed up. It's God who's in back of all of those things. So so don't be proud. Don't be puffed up. And then he says in the second place, going back to 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, nor to set their hopes upon the certainty of riches. Now, don't move, don't move from your God to his gifts. It's another way of saying, don't worship and serve the creature more than the creator. He says in here, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, because you know as well as I do, so much happened, well, it is happening now, but, but in weeks before, you're looking at your portfolio, and it's going down. And all of a sudden, your hopes begin to go down. Ah, but the market's going up for whatever reason, and it may go up. And so you're, he says, no, don't do that. You're moving from your God to gold. You're moving from the gift to the, you're moving away from the giver to the gift. So he says, don't do that. It's easy. And the language that he uses, be careful, all right? You're always, we're always having to watch that, okay? And then number three, the big one, invest for eternal yields we are to do, here's your portfolio, incidentally, okay, of investment, doing good, b- being rich in good works, and that really has the idea of, of helping, uh, the word is helping others to, to, to be good, to be right, to, to, to do what's right. One is good in itself, the other is what's beneficial to another. To be generous, that's the idea, to be overflowing. You're so full of joy in God, you're generous to others and ready to share which doesn't mean you have to give to everybody, but when there's a need, you're ready to give it, and you're able to give it. So that's how you invest in others, okay? So, so there, there's the point. There's your investments that go. Now, you've got to get out, and I do, out of the gravitational pull, out of the gravitational pull of gold, and get in the gravitational pull of God. And remember, generosity doesn't earn anything generosity is the way that shows what's in your heart. And here's the admonition that is connected here in verse verse 11. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Putting it very bluntly in everything. My life as a minister is to flee from those things that will destroy myself, my family, and you. Let a minister succumb to these things here. And it's as if a congregation's been hit by the atomic bomb. You need to flee these things as well for your own eternal life's sake. All right? So, so, so there's the warning. Now, 
Let me just make a note because it bears on the Sunday school class and then and let's draw this to a conclusion here. We've talked about <clears throat> in our culture the desire for happiness. And please, folks, don't think that the desire for happiness is in itself wrong. It is not, okay? There is joy. There is delight. When the Lord daily loads us with benefits, if you're morose and miserable, you're not being thankful. All right? so, so please don't say that God is, is against delight and against happiness. Here's the problem, okay? Twofold. For people who are not walking with God, they don't have a right relationship with Christ, their desires at best are misguided. If I have the right sexual intimacy with the right person, male or female, I'll be happy. That's misguided in more ways than one. But see, outside of God, where you don't have that GPS, at best, at best, your desire for happiness will be misguided. But here's the challenge for Christians. Even in Christ, our desires for true happiness may not be strong enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain, but I don't have a real desire for godliness. I just want to be ho-hum. Your desire is not strong enough. And if it's better to give than to receive, more blessed to give than to receive, and you're hoarding things, your desire for happiness is not strong enough. Okay? So that's just a, just a little aside in here. It is, remember that, that the Lord spoke of the value of a kingdom. It's, it's like a person finds a pearl of great price and he sells everything in order to get that pearl or as a treasure in a field and he sells all he has and buys that. that that's, that's what the kingdom is. It's worth everything. Evangelism is saying, I don't want to be the only one who's rich. Okay, I want to make others rich. Or as one person put it, and this really stuck in me, quoting the person who wrote it. How much do you treasure the investment that gives praise to God from a multitude for all eternity? You love the glory of God? Okay. How much do you treasure the investment that gives praise to God from a multitude for all eternity. That's why when giving, priority, yes, the poor and the needy, the Great Commission, discipleship, why? All right, let me, let me wrap this up this way. A way of thinking. Paul says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 6, charge the rich in this age. And the word is give marching orders to the rich in this age. And folks, yeah, I know we're on Long Island. I know it's expensive. I know there's all kinds of regulations. I know there's all kinds of taxes. Folks, let's face it, we're the rich in this age, even with all of those things. Give them marching orders. Here's the marching order. We're living in a wartime economy. Incidentally and parenthetically, I'm becoming more and more of the conviction that's not going to be a metaphor anymore. I can't give you chapter and verse. This is my own thinking. But brothers and sisters, God may need to send us another real wartime economy to make us realize we're in a wartime economy in the kingdom. What does that mean? In World War II, everything, everything in technology... Uh, every, everything with, with minerals, everything with, 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 with metals, just, just about everything was channeled to winning that war effort. And nobody thought anything about it. Why? Because we want to win that war. And so you saved fat. I mean, you just didn't recycle things only, you saved fat. You saved aluminum wrappers from gum. And that was put in a particular place 
because it was for the war effort. And you did without certain things because of the war effort. And you reveled all the time in the victories of the war effort. I want to submit to you that's the Christian life. It's what the Christian life ought to be, in which at least every Lord's Day and hopefully on our prayer meetings too, the Lord's getting victories to himself. Let me give you a quick example. I haven't researched it myself, but Brother Arthur told me this. I was through. Remember, prayed last week, a few weeks ago, for the Fulani herdsmen in Nigeria who have been persecuting Christians. Arthur says, you've got to read about how the Lord's converting Fulani herdsmen. See, that, that kind of a thing. That's the war effort that you want to. Anyway, living on a wartime economy is the idea. Okay, And getting very practical about this. Why are we given so much? Well, Paul gives the answer pretty bluntly in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal. Wow, do we need that in our culture? But rather let him work hard, labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have... It doesn't say to pay his bills, but we should. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Why are we given so much? So we can give to others. And I'll say it again. You've got to pay your bills. But do you really need that bill? Do you really need all those items on the credit card bill? Don't believe me, I'm preaching to myself too with this. Generosity, brothers and sisters, is not something that God wants from you. He doesn't need it. It's something that he wants for you. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. We don't know where he said this, but he did. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And yes, Jesus does want you to be blessed in that way. It's just the opposite of what the quote-unquote prosperity preachers want. God wants to bless you by giving you all of these things. Well, maybe he will. He wants to bless you by you giving most of them away, or at least a lot of them. So let's draw it together this way. Where do we begin? What I'm going to do today, folks, is this, at least for me and I think for you, this is a lot of stuff to process. And you folks are terrific at asking good questions and making good comments. So for today in the Sunday seminary class, I've got a few odds and ends of things I didn't get in here, but not many. But I want you to ask your questions, argue, debate, whatever you want. But let's, let's wrestle with these things together. But these would be my suggestions, biblical admonitions as to where you begin. Number one, set your affections on things above, folks. No, not in the House and the Senate and Washington. Set your affections on heaven. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If therefore you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Yes, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Folks, begin there, please, and don't ever leave it, okay? So get set your affections on things above And then number two, the language here, godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. You want to know what worldliness is? Worldliness in many ways is you're paying attention to all the market appeals of which there are gazillions every day. You've earned this vacation too. You have worked hard, so you should have this piece of furniture. You, you name it. That's it, it. We're bombarded with it over against the marketing worldliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. See, don't, don't ask, Pastor, how much do I need to give? I cringe when I hear. I want to say, well, start at 10%. Start at the, but that's <laughs> for another day. Pastor, how much do I need to give? How much do you really need to keep? And I ask that to myself. How much do I really need to keep? And again, there's no formula for this. You keep working with it, which is why we'll wrestle with it in the Sunday school class. Number three, 
There's another way of saying if you make $150,000 a year, it doesn't mean you have to have $150,000 a year lifestyle. The government will help cure you with that, okay? But still, there's money left over to give to others. Number three, get joy out of just being like Jesus. He went about doing good. And he made himself poor that we through his poverty might become rich. Now, how does that work itself out in each of our donations? Let anybody be your Lord in this. But in the name of God, wrestle with it, folks. Get joy out of being like Jesus. And then you watch your returns. The returns are joy. The returns, Jesus said, I came that your joy might be all filled up. There is nothing, nothing, nothing like the joy of representing the generosity of God to others. And that's just a foretaste in this life of what eternity will be. If you don't believe me, go to the scriptures. God gives way beyond. what God is going to be a debtor to no one, folks. My favorite little quotations, it was actually coined during the Depression. There was a man, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And you watch God fulfill that promise for you. Let's pray. Now, our Lord, we pray that we'll work these things out. That we'll work these things out. You say work out your salvation, not not work for it, but work it out. We pray that as we wrestle with these things in the Sunday seminary, as we go home and discuss them, as we look at our checkbooks and our bank accounts, God, don't let us be hearers of the word only, but doers. And may we be those who always give to your own priorities. God, the poor and the needy, those who are oppressed, we would seek to help them in godly ways. And for the great commission, because we want to see people converted. We want to see people discipled. And Lord, we pray that those that would really be our first priority because... When we get to glory, while we want Jesus, we cast our crowns before him. What a joy it will be to know that through our instrumentality, multitudes came to Christ and with us are praising him forever. Grant that. Grant that heart of Christ to us. Amen. Amen.